back, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper Cloud, sitting in the stairwell of my block of flats, as I normally do during these recordings. Joy, and uh, joining me for this week is my good mate, Eli Duxon. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Casper, yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back, and I'm going okay. Going okay, despite the, uh, the lockdown and even its sort of continued um, restrictions, no matter how much they've been eased it's um doesn't get any easier when you are still restricted but um yeah look keeping optimistic and still 40 on the weekend so um things to look forward to at least for sure absolutely now um basically in short to keep it short and short and brief three sections of the podcast every episode part one we'll discuss our top two highlights and lowlights of the round that's just been round 12 we'll then in part two, discuss normally four, but major news today out of the AFL. Now five major talking points to come out of the weekend. And uh, third and final part, we will preview round 13 and give our predictions. Who's going to win by how much and why, which game we're most looking forward to watching and why, and which game we think is going to be the biggest blowout. But we'll start with section one, Eli. What were your top two highlights of round Do's. That's 12 in French, by the way, flexing my limited French skills. <laughs> I would have said that was too, um, showing my knowledge or thereby lack of, but um, mine were from the same game. Uh, I've got um, yeah, Andy Brayshaw's goal from the boundary, that uh, that banana, and Aaron Norton's big mark. So up either end of the ground in that uh, that Sunday afternoon thriller, uh, as it always is with Fremantle, always copying the last last round of the game. Um, but yeah, both, both just fantastic. Um, Brayshaw's goal was only, I wasn't, I didn't see that one live. I saw Norton's live, but um, yeah. So when I saw the highlight of that, I was like, Oh wow, that's, um, that's certainly contender for a particular award at the end of the year. And um, Aaron Norton's, um, you could argue he's got overshadowed by another mark this round, but um, he was my pick just because it was just fantastic. Just reaching away from his body, got a good flight, um, yeah, I thought they were both fantastic. Uh, for me, my top two highlights, number one, that second half from Melbourne. Uh, sorry to bring this up, Eli. You've been a bit of a supporter. But I checked the scores at halftime and I thought Melbourne were in real trouble. And I thought Fris- upsets on here. Upsets on Brisbane were red hot and Melbourne were not. And then all of a sudden, the incident with Dane Zorko happened. And it, it's almost like it flipped the switch and all of a sudden Melbourne just ran rampant. And now I think there's no dispute or there should be no dispute in the mind of football supporters. Melbourne are the current premiership favourites. Comfortably Absolutely. beat Vermont, comfortably beat Richmond, comfortably beat the Bulldogs, comfortably beat Brisbane, pipped the Swans in a close one. Every single test that they've been given against teams in the top eight, they have well and truly won comfortably in, with the exception of the game against Sydney. And even that was a good win. And yet they still have to prove themselves. I don't think they do. Unbe- well, I'm, no, unbelievable. That's what everyone thinks. It's just crazy to yeah. think that. And um, you're right. They're so far and away the best team in the competition at the moment. The, the, the major question is, can they maintain it mm. for the final 10 yep. games or nine games of the year? Can they maintain the rage? If they can, then they will be minor premiers, no doubt. Comfortably. Second highlight, West Coast. 
at a ground where they haven't won a game at this century. Missing five or seven of their best players. To win in the fashion that they did, where Carlton were never really in it. Truthfully, Carlton were never really in that game. You know, maybe in close set stages, but the Eagles never looked like losing. Just such an impressive victory. And they needed a big away win after losing last week to the Bombers. So West Coast, full kudos to you. Top two lowlights of the weekend. Normally, I would say Carlton and Collingwood. Uh, However, I'm not going to do that because uh, we'll discuss both of those teams later on. Too easy, isn't it? Just, yeah, it's just a bit too easy at the moment. So instead, <laughs> I'll go for Adelaide as number one. Now, they were playing against a team who had to fly in and fly out, you know, fly in at like 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to Adelaide, stay in their hotel rooms, according to Kane Corns, had to stay in their hotel rooms until it was time to go to the game was sitting 16th, had only two wins for the rest of the year. And they lost. For as impressive as Adelaide has been at times this year, that loss, I think, confirms for me the fact that they are a bottom four team this year. And it was really disappointing. Secondly, And my second low light is, ah, geez, it's tricky to, it's tricky because we're, we're, we're going to talk about these topics later. Um, yeah, do you know what? I mentioned Carlton anyways. Just mentioned all of the hurdles that the Eagles had to overcome. A horrible away record this year and last year too. A terrible recent record at the SCG. Hadn't won at the SCG in the time that I've been alive on this earth. That's how long it's been. I think 1998 was the year that they won. And in 1998, the Blues Brothers 2000 movie was released. You want to know what 1998 was also? Three years after Carlton's last premiership. What the hell, Carlton? Seriously, if I'm a Carlton supporter, I would be furious. On to you, Eli, your top two lowlights. Yeah, I think um goes without saying, but you mentioned I'm a Brisbane fan. It's Brisbane's second half as well. That's my low light. Um, you could argue either way, whether it's a highlight on Melbourne's end or a low light on Brisbane's end. But um, yeah, that was just really disappointing. Like their first half of I've never been more. Um, like I, I was smiling pretty much that whole first half. Um, went in, uh, finished off some uni work at halftime. I'm thinking, man, we're going to knock off the uh, the top dogs. Right now, if we just keep this up, we're going to coast to a good win. And that just didn't happen. Uh, Melbourne turned up in their second half and they were dominant. And as much as I like to say that it was Brisbane's poor play that allowed that, um, Melbourne were just fantastic. They were, like, I honestly think right now that the way that they're playing, there's only two teams that could beat them coming into the year. And I think it's Brisbane because we showed that in the first half and Richmond because, well, I hate to say, but Richmond are still just as good as they've, as they've been for the last few years and, um, they're only going to turn it up more as the year goes on, as we know. Um, 
but they just shut us down completely. Our effort probably lacked um, quite considerably, but um, and like the way we were going that first quarter, we had seven contested marks to one. Um, so some of them probably lucky, sticky fingers hang on to things sometimes. Um, that gets you another shot at goal or that allows forwards to get back and uh, present options. But um, yeah, even our three key forwards with McStay, Denner and Hipwood, they weren't getting up the ground in that second half and providing an outlet kick. But, uh, Melbourne were just able to, um, but to rebound any of our defensive 50 exits um, and they and do it with ease. Um, so yeah, our back line just got swamped and um, it's hard enough to defend one-on-one, but when the ball is coming in as fast and as well as it is uh, when Melbourne's on the charge, it's it's hard to stop. So they were, they were super impressive, but also Brisbane were quite poor and yet Dane Zorko, um, we have been challenged. He's one match suspension and I think rightly so. We've got North Melbourne and our next game, uh, given the week off, uh, let him think about what he's done because even before that one, he turned over. Um, he had a poor turnover um, straight to Melbourne that resulted in a goal. Um, and my second low light, I'm sorry to bring this up as well, Casper, but um, it's uh, Andy McGrath's PCL injury. Mm. Um, not not great news because there's so much optimism at the moment for the Dons fans um, playing some great footy. And even on uh, Saturday, I think it was, um, you were in the game, in the game right to the end. And the, the scoreline doesn't reflect um, the way the game was played. Um, they kicked away. They, they got a few cheap ones at the end, um, which meant so... Um, but yeah, there's so much optimism from fans this year. Um, I think the McGrath injury was a bit of a blow. Um, but I know it'd be, it'd be good for us in the long run because it's going to give a, another young player a chance in a, a much more substantial role. Um, so I think Ben Rutten will be looking at the positives of it too because you can't control these things. Injuries happen. The uh, the way that the AFL season is in most competitions as well, it's a, it's a war of attrition really. So um if SM want to keep competing until the end of the year um, and have a, have a tilt at the, at the eight, if not this year, maybe next year, um, then you've got to show that you've got some quality depth. So um, it's unfortunate for McGuire and, and uh, Essendon, but there's certainly some positives to be drawn from it. Yep. I, I was proud of that loss. And it's rare that you say that you're proud of a six goal plus loss, but let's be real. That margin did not uh, accurately reflect the game. Um, no way. On to the major talking points to come out of the weekend. Five of them instead of the normal four. There you go. Just a special treat for you, dear listener. Four instead of five instead of four. Um, get a bonus of one this weekend. Uh, let's start off with the Adelaide Crows. Just checking out the ladder. They currently sit 15th, four wins, eight losses with a percentage of 85.6%, which is uh, the fourth lowest in the competition. Only St Kilda, uh, Hawthorne and North Melbourne are lower than Adelaide. And they come up against a Saints team this weekend who will be hell-bent on recording a uh, badly needed win themselves. When the Crows defeated Geelong and when the Crows defeated Melbourne, you know, I certainly thought that they could be something this year. Maybe not finals, but but possibly pushing, pushing for finals until late into the year. But my question to you is, Eli, does the loss on the weekend mean that we as a football community 
need to reassess the crows or not? I mean, yes and no. Um, the good old crom, they've uh, probably overachieved, I think, this year. Um, but some big scalps. Um, I'm sure that the uh, crows fans will be stoked with the way they've gone. But um, they're going to be inconsistent because they're still at, the, at its core, they're still young side. Um, but what they do have is they do have some really good experience older players. Um, talking to the likes of Roy Sloan, Tex Walker's playing some of his best footy. Uh, still got Roy Laird, Matt Crouch in there. Um, so they're going to compete and they showed that against uh, yeah, Melbourne and Geelong. Um, but with a lot of their youth in there, it's going to be hard for them to maintain that consistency through four quarters and through the 22 uh, regular season games. Um, so, yeah, I think from, from here, we're going to still get that competition um, and we're going to see them being consistent, but they've just got to keep showing improvement. Um, and I think they've done that from, if you compare last season to, to this season, um, they've done that in spades already. And yeah, sure, the percentage isn't great, um, but they're playing some attacking footy um, more often than not and having some young players coming through like Ben Keyes is probably up there with Tex Walker he'd be he's definitely a chance to win their best in Ferris and he only got through listed by Brisbane a couple of seasons ago um, Lockie Shaw was really solidifying his spot on the wing half half forward type role um, Harry Schomburg is getting a lot of the footy um, and they finally gave uh, Riley Tiltorp a crack um, which was only a matter of time really um, but he's shown that he's certainly capable of the level um, I think he five or six on debut um but yeah I, I think we shouldn't expect the world of them and like you said they wouldn't have been pushing for finals but they probably could have been um around the mark considering um the level that they've played at um but unfortunately for them it's probably just not going to be sustained um they just need to keep on showing improvement throughout the year and i think they'll keep the crom fans quite happy and there's the whole community behind the crom at the moment as well so um, I enjoy watching them play. It's good to see them playing better than what they did last year. And um, being a Brisbane fan, and obviously you would know as well, it's sometimes very disheartening to go there and watch your team get absolutely slapped every week. Um, so it's a good bit of competition for, for their fans, for sure. Absolutely. Um, just looking at their remaining draw, there's two games left that Crows fans uh, would be licking their lips at. They play North Melbourne in round 23 at the Adelaide Oval. And a few weeks before that, in round 20, they play Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval. Crows should win both of those games. Now, they might pick up an upset win here and there, but their remaining draw includes Brisbane at the Adelaide Oval, Essendon at Marvel Stadium, the Dogs in Ballarat, where they hardly lose, and another showdown among many other difficult clashes. I can't help but feel that a lot of the early season success for the Crows was built off of Taylor Walker. And I wonder if his goal kicking performances masked how mediocre this team still is, especially when you consider how old Taylor Walker is and you think okay, how many seasons does he have left? realistically they've been playing since 2009 i think taylor walker so i think uh, i think we as a football public do need to readjust expectations on the crows i know i need to do that um i think if they can avoid finishing in the bottom four then yeah you know it'd be a great season but i think they, they'll finish in the bottom four get another high draft pick and um yeah 
maybe start to push for finals in 2023 also. Now, one team that should be pushing for finals uh, and thus far has proven that they are not up for it is Carlton. Seven games against top eight teams this year. Seven losses, all between 16 and 28 points. Had a solid lead against the Dogs, threw that away. We're pushing Richmond all the way in round one, faded lead. We're looking like they would beat the Swans for three quarters before a 10 minute burst from Sydney. Ended that game of the contest. And then they had West Coast missing five or seven of their best players of the top 22 at a ground where the Eagles hadn't won at since the 90s. And yet they couldn't pull it off. My question to you, Eli, is actually, if it's okay, I'll start with this one. My question is, is David Teague's job in trouble? I don't think so, yet. He has only had one season, one proper season so far. Took over midway through 2019, did a pretty good job last year, COVID impacted, et cetera, et cetera. You know, had to flee Victoria and all that. Had an okay season, a couple of disappointing losses late, but they were pushing for finals football. Carlton in the past, they've made mistakes of letting go coaches just because of one disappointing season. Think of uh, um, Ratton in 2012, off the back of three consecutive final series. Their first final series, uh, 2009 was their first final series since 2001. And they won a final in 2011 against Essendon. And that was their first finals win since 2001. And that coach took them to that missed finals in 2012 and kicked them out three coaches later and they are still in the quagmire of mediocrity so don't get rid of the coach just yet but the heat is definitely starting to be turned up is he in danger of losing his job this year no if this form continues next year absolutely absolutely how about you eli Yeah, definitely agree. This year's probably safe. I think a lot will hinge off the uh, review that's going to be happening um, with Luke Sayers coming in uh, the presidency. But um, yeah, fans are upset and rightly so. Um, it's It's been a long time coming, like you said. Um, and finally this year, they, they managed to get the the two big scalps, or not scalps, the recruits that they wanted in Sard and Williams. Um, and I mean, let's be honest, they didn't really give up absolutely everything for him. They gave away a substantial amount, but probably enough for what you'd expect to get um, to sort of ready, mature players that already adjusted the AFL system and are proven uh, performers. Um, but yeah, they've just got to do something different. And I think Teague has to show people that he's doing something different because um, there's so much commentary around the players that he's playing and um, the brand of football that they're playing. Um, and you could have made an argument that with Sardin Williams in, um, earlier in the season that perhaps they just weren't adjusted to the um, playing all the boys yet. But let's be honest now, they had a full preseason. If that's not enough, um, they've still got so much more time ahead. Um, they've had so much more time still um, and for half more than halfway through the season now. So um, it's got to be now or never really when they start picking things up and it's not looking great. 
Um, Saad has doesn't have a defensive bone in his body. Um, Williams isn't the star midfielder that they that he turned out, well, that he's promised to be. Um, the more minutes um, they're playing, they're paying him a lot of money to sit off a halfback flank and do what he's doing at the Giants. Um, but yeah, he's has to he's has to show the fans that he's doing something different because that's going to provide a bit of optimism. Much like Ben Rotten's done, he's come, he's played some of the younger players, he's moved some players around, he played Darcy Parish in position. Um, you you got to do something that makes the fans that gives them something to look forward to. Um, North Melbourne they delisted a lot of their mutual players last year because um, it just wasn't going well. But now they're getting a lot of younger players out on the field. Um, but unfortunately, um, he can't afford to do anything that drastic because they realistically should be competing. Um, with the 22, the 25, you could say, uh, even 30 that they have, um, they should be competing. So, um, yeah, I think a lot will hinge off the review um, into next year. Um, but what he does have is a lack of tenure on his side. Um, like we've, we've seen uh, today, which we'll touch on, um, coaches with a lot of time behind them. Um, they've had time to... Uh, prove themselves and he hasn't he hasn't really but um i think he's uh, if it's if it's not him it's probably his ability to get the best out of his players which i think will um it, it's hard to say if he's doing that or not um like whether that's his fault or whether that's his players fault but there's got to be some internal motivations there in the four walls to to really uh, maximize the player's output because um at the moment fans aren't happy and um even as a as an impartial fan who admittedly probably likes to see some of the big clubs uh, falter at times, it's disappointing for them because when they're on, they're such a good team to watch. And they did that against us too. They really challenged us for three and a half quarters. And I think they only lost to us by three goals, um, but they looked on top for a lot of the game. Um, so I agree with you, Casper wholeheartedly. He's not in trouble now, um, but if it continues into next year, it will be in serious trouble if he's, uh, if he's still around. On to one coach who will no longer be around, at least in the coaching capacity past this weekend. Major news out of Collingwood today, Nathan Buckley will coach his last game for Collingwood at uh, the SCG. I believe the game is at between Melbourne and Collingwood this weekend after nearly 500 games of coaching and playing for Collingwood. He leaves behind an impressive resume as a player and a, I think, a wonderful legacy at Collingwood. And even as someone who doesn't like Collingwood and who has said that multiple times this year that perhaps Collingwood need to let him go and look elsewhere, it was still a shock, to be honest with you, still a shock. You know, I woke up pretty late today uh, and I saw a text from Liam, who, the, one of the other co-hosts of this podcast, who likes, uh, who who's a Collingwood supporter, and he said to me, "Bucks was Bucks is gone," and I looked. I'm sure I couldn't believe it. I thought he was lying. Truthfully, I thought he was lying, and I checked, and sure enough, he wasn't. And my question for you, Eli: Now the coach is gone, one of their assistant. Uh, no, sorry, I was thinking of Carlton John. Barker gone at Carlton. Um, list manager, Ned Guy, gone. Eddie Maguire, gone. Current president, 
could be gone, could be staying, we don't know. What's next for Collingwood? What's the next step to get out of the mess that they are currently in? I think it's probably a clean slate. Is this certainly necessary? Um, it, it's it's certainly hard to hard to say like what's the right way to go about it because um, if Collingwood knew that they would have taken that path already and it's been a tumultuous um, you could argue best part of a year now um, for the club and for the fans. But um, it's just an opportunity to start fresh this year um, for the rest of the season, I should say. Um, we mentioned uh, we'll talk about David Teague before, but when he took over twenty nineteen. He knocked uh, Brisbane off with an impressive win in his first game and um, he, he had a couple more wins and you're probably thinking if he had the full season, they could have been um, pushing around the 10-12 sort of spot and maybe looking at finals um, because he just provided, yeah, just it just invigorated them a bit, you know. They were playing with a bit more freedom. T had nothing to lose. He was still going for the coaching position next year, but... Um, he was just having a red hot crack. So I think it's a good opportunity now for Robert Harvey to step in um, and really try and solidify or put his hand up as the uh, next coach of the club, because I believe he's gone for a few other jobs before outside of Collingwood and he hasn't been successful. So there must be a reason why as to why he hasn't been successful because he's a dual brain medalist, absolute champion of the game. He must have a wealth of knowledge, um, but there's got to be a genuine reason for him not to have gotten up these other jobs. So um, I think Robert Harvey will really be taking this opportunity with both hands um, to really show that he's a capable coach. And look, let's be honest, he doesn't have a bad list to work with. They're, they're, they're 22, so a very formidable 22. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what has made them uh, perform the way they have this season. Um, but yeah, probably just that that fresh start with the fresh, fresh voice is probably going to be good for him. So... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do because um, although it hasn't been long since they've tasted success, been in the grand final a few years ago, which is no easy feat. Um, yeah, I think they'll be uh, looking forward to a yeah, new new start. Before they do anything, they need to sort out the mess that is the board situation. Of course. Will Mark Corder be there? Will it be Jeff Brown? Who knows? I don't know. You don't know. And at the moment, Collingwood doesn't know either. Sort that situation out first before you go to coaching. Because if Mark Corder, you know, and that board makes a decision and then they get overthrown, who even knows if the coach that, that the current board hires will be kept on by the, new, by the new board? And as a player, that would just mess with your head. That would be too messy. horrible. It would be an awful situation to play under. Yep. Figure that out first before you figure anything else out. Secondly, Levi Greenwood, Jeremy Howe, still side bottom, Scott Pendlebury. Are they staying? Are they going? Are they going to retire? Are you going to trade them to try and get higher draft picks? What's going to be the situation at Collingwood? With those older players, they need to figure out how deep into this rebuild they want to go. And they've got to be careful that they don't do what the Crows did in 2018 and 2019, keeping on those old players way past their prime and thus delayed the rebuild. But you also don't want to do what North Melbourne has done this year, and that's get rid of almost everyone with experience. They've got to strike that balance. Give Robert Harvey a chance to prove himself. While at the same time, get on the phone with... Paul Roos, Alistair Clarkson, Ross Lyon, 
and maybe some other assistant coaches from other clubs, Sam Mitchell, why not? You know, if Hawthorne's going to keep Alistair Clarkson for next year, Sam Mitchell could be up for grabs. Why not? Adam Uze, why not? You know, it's, it's, it's entirely possible that either any of those names um, could become premiership winning coaches. Uh, Paul Rees, again, obviously won in 2005. But call around, you know, and have total transparency with the fans, say this is what's happening. Because I think last year, especially with the trade period, it was a lot of anger because fans had no idea what was happening. There's what Colin needs to do. On to uh, the next topic, which if I can just bring up the list of topics that I just had open and for some reason I just closed. Uh, the joy of accidentally closing the wrong app. Um, <laughs> here it is. Uh, is the top eight now officially locked? Two games difference now between the eighth place Tigers and the ninth placed Bombers. And with the players that Richmond are coming uh, are getting back, I'll be amazed if they stay in eighth for a lot longer. West Coast is supposed to be getting players back as well. And they are, as it stands right now, mathematically speaking, the ones the most at risk of dropping out of the eight. And yet they are still two games ahead of everyone else. And not only that, but they're getting all these players back. So, Eli, I think the top eight is locked without a shadow of a doubt, top eight is locked away. It's just about draft picks, draft position, and building momentum into next year for the remaining teams. What do you think? Yeah, definitely agree. Um, I think last time I was on the show, we um, thought that was pretty much locked and it hasn't changed since then. So um, GWS, they've still got a game to play to um, level up with the top of games played. So they could only be one game behind um, depending on how they go this week. But um, yeah, look, I think there's no chance anyone's catching up with the Tigers or anyone in that, in that top eight. I just think it's yeah, simply, simply sorted. It's just a matter of finalizing positions because it's all still close. Um, Melbourne have given themselves a good buffer uh, at the top there, but um, that top four, I think there's at the moment, there's three or four teams that could easily um, solidify themselves there quite soon so um yeah it's a I, I can't say changing too much and um it's going to take Essendon to play a lot of great footy to get up there and or someone else to really kick into gear and play much better footy than they have been but at this point of the season I'm not sure how much room for um drastic improvement there is um because teams have either, either figured you out or you've played your best footy or the footy that you're going to maintain for the rest of the season so um I can't say changing at all Casper especially with the injuries that Fremantle and GWS now have in Essendon too with Andy McGrath and the Bombers have difficult games coming up. You know, that we're yet to play Melbourne. We play the Swans and the Giants again. We're yet to play the Dogs and we play Geelong and Geelong. Those games are going to be really, really difficult, especially considering how young we are. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the best eight teams have proven themselves to be the best eight teams so far this year and it won't change. On to the final talking point out of this last round, and that is goal-kicking accuracy. Aaron Norton, from memory, had one goal five, something like that. Uh, Jack Higgins, one goal six. Taylor Walker, two goals six. So on um, 
round so far. I believe it was, and I'll, I'll pull up the graphic on my phone so I can tell you it. Here it is. The uh, ranking AFL sides by shots at goal accuracy. West Coast, number one. Essendon, number two. Sydney, number three. Brisbane in fourth. Port Adelaide in fifth. Hawthorne in sixth. Only one third of the league is sitting at above 50% goal kicking accuracy. Two thirds are sitting below 50%. Fremantle, the worst offender at 40.3%. St Kilda, 42.2%. But Eli, it's looking at those stats and looking at the numbers on the weekend. Is there a massive goal kicking problem league wide? Yeah, definitely league wide. Um, but it's it's just different some weeks. Like you can argue whether it's about consistency or whatever. But I think I, I can only speak of Brisbane's experience as well. It was quite notable that we had our issues in front of goal, but um, we had the most shots on goal last year. We were the best attacking side in the competition, but we we're also one of the worst in terms of accuracy. But um, this year, what's changed is we're just taking better shots. We're finding the corridor more. Um, and I know that when I was playing as well, not that I played at a high level or anything, but um, playing half-back, back pocket, which I usually did. I didn't really care if my opponent led out to the boundary. Um, you can get the volley. I don't really care. The, the likelihood that you're going to keep that slimmer um, to if you were 10 metres out straight in front of goal. And um, the players are a lot better at that now. Um, you could argue some of them are probably uh, better 20 metres out, hugged up against the boundary, snapping across their body um, than they would be if they were 20 metres out uh, in front and kicking a drop punt. But um, yeah, I think it just changes week to week and um, in terms of personal plays, it's I don't it's hard to put a finger on exactly why, like whether it's a psychological thing or um, whether it's a technical thing. I think it's probably a mixture of both uh, for a lot of players. But um, I remember a few few years ago in Bendigo, he would have kicked one goal six as well, and that's really the difference in games. Um, it can change your game, and the I mean it's the old adage, and um, if you score more than the opposition, you will win the game. That's it's a simple game really, and um yeah i think for players especially it, it's it's really hard to get out of their own heads sometimes and um nail goals but i think it's just a, it's just a week-to-week thing like adelaide shown a few weeks ago against hawthorne they kicked like 15 straight or 16 straight before they missed um and then you could very easily turn that around and um uh, like nat fife i think he's probably um partly responsible for free um poor accuracy but um yeah, it's, it's something that just changes week to week depending on the shots you're getting and um, also, yeah, the psych, psyche of players, which it's hard to really nail down as, a, as an external um, person of a footy club uh, and, and fan, really. So it's definitely a problem, but, yeah, uh, how much of a problem? Well, teams are still kicking goals, players are still kicking goals, um, and we're still seeing some fantastic goals. So um, I'm sure clubs are working on it um throughout the week but yeah it's it's something that if you are going to be competing you want to be on that 50 percent plus side absolutely uh look i i, I agree i've got no idea why there's a league-wide problem
I don't know whether or not it's a, a psychological issue. I, I don't know what it is, but there are some players, Nat 5, King at St Kilda, really struggling with goal kicking accuracy this year. Really struggling. I have no idea if coaches aren't paying enough attention to it during the week, but something's going to happen. It's going to cost a lot of teams. It's, it has cost a lot of teams, and it's going to cost a lot of teams in finals football this year, I reckon. I would not be shocked if the grand final is won by a team who has less scoring shots than their opponents with the way that this season is going. And, and it's crazy as well because a lot of these players, they're great field kicks. Um, again, I'm just referring back to Brisbane because it's what I know, but um, Hugh McCluggage and Joe Danaher, I think McCluggage last year kicked nine goals, 23. Yet he's probably one of the, the tidiest uh, decision makers and in, in users of the footy in the competition, especially this year, he's taken it to another level. And Joe Danaher, he's, he's an outstanding field kick. Um, he's, he, he manages to find a bit of the ball, but when it comes to having a shot on goal and um, yeah, hit going between two two poles, it, it just seems to, to change everything, which, yeah, I'm with you. I really don't know why. On to round 13. Pretty, I can't believe we're at round 13 already. That's absolutely mind-boggling. This season has simultaneously been slow as a sloth and as fast as Sonic. Sorry, I was trying to think of something that was fast. Sonic. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes. On to Thursday Night Football. Port Adelaide versus Geelong at the Adelaide Oval. Rematch of the qualifying final from last year. It was a pretty good game. Eli, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. Can the Cats get revenge on the power for that loss or will Port Adelaide once again prove that at home they're a lot better against Premiership contenders than they are away? Yeah, I mean, first of all, how good is it to have Thursday night footy back? Um, I like a lot of people have been calling for it and if I've listened, fantastic. And it's a good way to spread out the round. Um, but yeah, I think I reckon Geelong will get up this one. Um, again, um, my, my tipping is terrible. Every time I come on here, I say it. Um, but I think Geelong's getting a few more players back. I've heard, um, obviously not confirmed yet, but there's whispers that Dangerfield's back, Blitzarves, uh, uh, Duncan, um, I think Mark Connor. But yeah, like I said, not confirmed, but I've just uh, remember it's, I saw that somewhere today. But um, I think Zhang will get up. It's those players coming back in, um, they're, they're so strong. And I think with how experienced they are, even currently with the 22 that they they, they could have run out from last round, um, there's so much experience in there that um, traveling away shouldn't affect them as much as uh, a young team traveling away would. So um, yeah, I've got Zhang winning this one. And hopefully a blockbuster. I'm going to go by one goal or less. I'm going to go for a bit of an upset here. I need I need to gain ground on my dad. I need to gain ground on my dad in the tipping competition. I thought I had him because I tipped 
Melbourne and dad tipped Brisbane and I thought I had him with that but then he tipped West Coast and I tipped Carlton the one time that I would have been okay with a Carlton win and they let me down typical Carlton well do you know what I'm going for more upsets this round Port Adelaide to win by seven points it's going to be a great game of football either way I just think the home ground advantage is going to be good too good for Port Adelaide uh on to Friday night football at the SCG uh, former heavyweights, one team going through a renaissance and the other team very much stuck in the dark ages. It's a little <laughs> history joke there for you uh, history geeks. Sydney versus Hawthorne. I'll pretend that that was a dramatic pause. Sydney versus Hawthorne at the SCG. Uh, Swans should win. But Sydney, we don't blow teams away. You know, we should have blown the Saints away. We don't blow teams away. We should have annihilated Collingwood. And we didn't. So because we don't blow teams away, but we should win, I'm tipping us to win by about five goals also. Yeah, I'm going to go Sydney, easy win. Um, yeah, I would have said five, but I'll go seven just to be a little bit different. Um, I think you'll turn up this week, SAG. Um, yeah, can't say Swans losing. On to Saturday, only two games on Saturday. Normally, there's more, only two games this Saturday. Body versus Gold Coast over in the West Eli, can the Dockers overcome a mounting injury list or can the Suns nab a rare win in Perth? Yeah, I think this is the Suns' best opportunity to do it. Um, hopefully we see Matty Rao back. Uh, they're going to be bolstered by that. So um, I've got Gold Coast winning this one by four goals. I thought I was going to be unique with this one, but I'm also tipping the Suns <laughs> by 20 points. Uh, Fremantle, just a walking wounded after last. I think they had like four or five injuries during the game last weekend. That might be a slight exaggeration, but seriously, it was ridiculous. And uh, it's just a caliber of players too. I think Fife got injured. Who knows who's going to be available for Fremantle? And there's another team who we'll get to in a second who's also struggling to field a full list of players for Saturday. But Fremantle, uh, just too much to overcome, I reckon. Gold Coast to win. This year has been the year of rare Gold Coast victories. Uh, rare in the sense that they, in the circumstances, rarely happen. They beat the Swans, which, yes, in 20, okay, touche in recent years isn't so rare, but overall history, it's been pretty rare. Uh, they beat Hawthorne only the third time in the history that they've, done, that they've done that. And I think it was only their third or fourth ever win at the MCG maybe their fifth, their only, uh, their first win against Collingwood at the MCG, their first win at the MCG against someone who wasn't Melbourne or uh, another team who I have just forgotten. But Gold Coast will add to that and win their second ever game in Perth. Sorry, second ever win in Perth. They've played more than two games in Perth. Don't worry about that. But this will be their second ever win in WA. On to Kazali Stadium, all the way up there in Cairns. Can the Saints 
get a badly needed win against the Crows. I read an article that said that the Saints uh, will struggle to field a full team for uh, for Saturday. That's like 17 players injured, something ridiculous like that. 25, 26 players that you need. Obviously, you've got the four on the bench and you have the one extra guy who comes in. They could struggle to get that full number of players. So my question for the Saints is, can they handle all those injuries? And I don't think they can. This year, big forwards have torn them to shreds. Dobbs did it. Hawker did it in round three. And I think Taylor Walker will do it in round 13. And the Crows will win a close one because Adelaide also doesn't blow teams away. But it'll be a win for the Crows up in Cairns. Eli, where do you stand on this one? The rematch of the 1997 Grand Final with none of the grandiose and none of the uh, none of the premiership hopes or premiership um, uh, uh, aspirations. That was yeah, I've got. Uh, that was definitely the wrong word to use there. I, I just couldn't think of the word to use, so I said aspirations. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's certainly no premiership expectations of either, but um, That's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thought <laughs> <laughs> it might have been, but I'm back in the crom to win this one. Um, don't know why, really. It's a, it's going to be a genuine, genuine blockbuster. Really, it's it's going to be a fantastic game, I'm sure, but um, no hyperbole at all. But um, yeah, I've got Adelaide winning this one just because I picked it out of a hat. <laughs> no real. Um, no real analysis going into it, but yeah, I mean, St. Kilda obviously struggling with some injuries and um, yeah, I think Adelaide would be pretty disappointed with the way they came out last week. Uh, so expected to try and bounce back and um, bring a bit of life back into their season because losing them to Collingwood in their current state. And as you mentioned, with um, having to fly and fly out, um, they wouldn't have been too happy about that. No, they would not have. On to Sunday. Now, here, how about this for a statistic? Sunday football starts off in Tasmania, North Melbourne versus the Giants down at Bunstone Arena. Uh, Sam Reed for the Giants. The longest wait in 93 years to get to 100 games. Sam Reed debuted in 2008, round 22. He's gone through injuries after injuries, change of clubs, delisted a few times, and then relisted, and finally he gets his chance at the 100. Full kudos to you, Sam Reed. I hope that you have a good game, and I think your team will win it for you. But how about you, Eli? I'll let you, sorry, should have gone in order. I should have asked you, but I'm changing the order around. Forget about it. I think the Giants are going to win by about, I think, six goals, uh, but could easily be more. Yeah, I've got the Giants winning, and um, yeah, Sam Reid's a great story. Yeah, genuine Liz Clogger, isn't he? But um, but no, he's shown these. He can play a really good role for him over the last few years. But I remember he came to our, our footy club. It probably would have been when, like in his first or second year. He came down with Jason Ackermanis and Jared Grant, the old microphone head. So um, to see him still kicking and playing good footy is uh, outstanding. But yeah, GWS win this by I'm going to go ten goals. Ten. 
Wow. Yep. Yep. I'm giving them uh, more credit than probably most would be uh, because we knocked them off a couple of weeks ago by 10 goals, but um, I think they're still a better footy side than what they produced on that day. So um, I'm backing them in and North Melbourne aren't too crash hot as we know. So um, yeah, I think GWS are really going to try and take advantage of the, uh, the Tasmanian climate because it's not too different from Canberra. No, it's not too different from Canberra. You're right. Although the only reason why I didn't go with a bigger margin is because North Melbourne perform a lot better in Tasmania than they seemingly do anywhere else. Maybe they should relocate there. Just an idea. It's a joke, North Melbourne supporters. Don't worry. It's a joke. It's a joke. I'm just saying. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> not really. Um, on to the other Sunday game. Now, this game wasn't supposed, wasn't supposed to be happening this weekend. It's supposed to be happening next weekend, but then it got moved. Richmond supporters are happy. West Coast supporters are not happy. West Coast supporters are claiming Victorian bias. What else is new? The sky is blue. Go figure. West Coast versus Richmond at Optus Stadium. Now, uh, Eli, I'll let you start with this one. West Coast, Richmond, who is going to win battle between seventh and eighth on a ladder? I've got Richmond. Um, hate to admit it, um, but they're still up there being the benchmark of the competition. And um, I think the way they played at the back end of last Saturday's game at Optus Stadium too, um, I think showed that they're just they're just that good when they turn it on and um, they're really hard to stop. And yeah, being having that game there on Saturday as well without the um, without the West Coast's sort of home uh, crowd, of course, but uh, nonetheless, it's still good for them to, to get back-to-back games there, and I think they'll be uh, well-prepared for a West Coast side that's still certainly um, undermanned, as Richmond are to an extent as well, but um, I still think they've just got too much depth, Richmond, to, and they'll uh, pile over West Coast. I'm going to go you know, four goals for this one. I am uh, going to go for a different tact here. The Eagles, now I would have thought that West Coast supporters would be happy because they're thinking, finally, we're playing the Tigers at Optus Stadium. The last time that the Eagles hosted Richmond was in 2018, and the Eagles won that game by nine goals roundabout. Since then, it's been MCG, and then in Queensland last year, and the Eagles are thinking, finally, finally, a home game for us against Richmond. Because it's at Optus Stadium and because we rarely see Richmond in WA, um, I don't, is there going to be a crowd at this game? I don't know. One would think so. If there is a crowd at this game, we know how crazy those West Coast supporters can get and how passionate they can get. It's almost like having a couple of extra players on the field that noise is so loud so because of that and because you know richmond lost dion dion prestia to injury last weekend i still think that the eagles are going to win it's going to be a close game i forgot the margin that i put originally so i'll make one up on the spot i'll say 10 points it'll be a great game of football on to quite possibly uh for several reasons the most sentimental game of not just the weekend, but of the season as well. It's the annual Queen's birthday game, Collingwood versus Melbourne, this time at the SCG. Uh, I believe the slide is still going to be at the MCG. The slide at the MCG, but game at the SCG. 
Nathan Buckley's last game as Collingwood coach, and obviously the big fundraiser for MND, and uh, inspired by the inspirational uh, hero and legend that is Neil Danaher. My question to you, Eloy, is can Collingwood win it for Nathan Buckley? I think categorically the answer is no. Um, but in saying that, I think they're going to have a much better um, outing than what they've, what they've been putting up the rest of the season so far. Um, I can't say them winning in any situation whatsoever. Um, like I said, when Melbourne's up and about, they, they look so hard to stop. It's, it just looks so unfair. Um, so unless Melbourne just doesn't rock up, um, that's, that'll be only Collingwood's only chance of winning is just forfeit. Um, but I think they'll they'll be more competitive than what they have been. So I'm going to go Melbourne by four, probably I'll say three goals. Um, I, I think Collingwood will be able to stick it with them for most of the day, but Melbourne is just playing too good footy at the moment. Their system's working well. Um, I think Ed Langdon might be back as well. Um, haven't seen there. Um, but regardless, they're, they're still going to be strong enough to um, overpower the, the Magpies. Yeah, unfortunately, um, for Nathan Buckley, for Collingwood, Melbourne will win this game. I wouldn't be shocked if it's another great contest between these two teams because Collingwood don't get blown out and Melbourne don't blow teams away. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, this podcast. There's lots of teams that win comfortably but don't crush opposition teams. You know, seeing the dogs do that this year. We've seen obviously Essendon do that this year, uh, much to my pleasant surprise. But Melbourne is a team that has not done that this year. I don't think it's going to start this this um, this round. Collingwood and Melbourne, they always seem to lift for this game. Even when Melbourne were awful and Collingwood were pretty good, Melbourne at least used to put in effort and heart into this. And, you know, even when they were losing a lot of games, like in 2013, 2012, 2013, 2014, this was never, this fixture was never one of their worst losses in, um, in those seasons, at least from memory. And Collingwood, when Melbourne has been really good and when Collingwood has been pretty mediocre, they've put in a lot of effort as well. You know, I think it was Jack Watts who in 2017 or 2018, maybe in 2018, kicked a winning goal for Melbourne was about three minutes ago. You know, that dates me. Jack Watts kicking the winning goal. Can you believe that? Oh, goodness gracious me. I think Melbourne's going to be too good for Collingwood, but I wouldn't be shocked if it came down to the last 30 seconds or so. Collingwood's going to show a lot of heart, and I wouldn't be surprised if after the bye, round 15 against Fremantle, they'll do what teams normally do and win for their new coach's first game of football. So uh, that concludes this little section. But before I hold on a second, no, I forgot. Uh, Eli, which game are you most looking forward to this round and why? And which game are you thinking is going to be the biggest blowout of the weekend? Um, well, probably the game that I'm most looking forward to has got to be Thursday night because, like I said, it's back on Thursday night. Uh, fantastic, and there should be a good outing. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest blow it's going to be the North Melbourne GWS game. 
Uh, I just can't see that being competitive in any aspect. Um, but I'd like to be proven wrong. I really, I really would for the uh, for North Melbourne fans' sake. Um, but yeah, I also think uh, Saturday night's game, St Kilda Adelaide, is going to be a genuine snooze fest. So um, unfortunately, the buy round doesn't offer a lot of great contests. But um, yeah, those are my uh, <laughs> my games that I'm looking forward to, and also not looking forward to. I'm looking forward to West Coast versus Richmond. Seventh versus eighth, two teams with top four hopes. They'll be on the line. And if the loser loses, might be a bit early to say this. They could both still make the top four. But I'm calling it early. The loser of this game will not finish in the top four this season. So that's why I'm so looking forward to this game. The blowout of the round. Yeah. Yeah, North Melbourne GWS. Go on, Giants. Do it for Reedy. It should be a comfortable win for the Giants indeed. Eli, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, best wishes for Brisbane not this weekend because they're not playing this weekend. Um, but when Brisbane play next weekend against North Melbourne, best wishes for the Lions. And hopefully Zorko has learnt his lesson. It can stop being a naughty boy. I hope so too. Thanks for having me, Casper. Appreciate it. Good to be back. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join us next week where me and a mystery co-host, if you've been listening, you'll probably, it will be one of the the co-hosts that we've had on this podcast before. So it won't be a complete mystery, but I don't know who it will be. You don't know who it will be. Eli doesn't know who it's going to be. You're going to have to join next week to find out. Until then, adios. Adios.